2: and welcome back to the Trek Culture Podcast. As always, I am your host, Sean. I'm joined by Tom and we are very... Very, very excited to be welcoming this wonderful guest with whom an amazing collaboration is always oh, just in the wind. Jesse Gender, <laughs> thank you so much, Jesse, for joining us. How are you?
3: I am very, very, very excited to be here. It's I I love you both. I love Trek Culture. You are wonderful. And I have I have been patiently waiting for when I can come on the podcast because I've just I, I adore y'all and I'm excited to be here to talk about this. And specifically these episodes in particular. So just all, I'm, I'm just very pumped.
4: <laughs> Lots of things to talk about. We, I was yeah. just saying before time zones, it's currently, it's about 20 to nine here. Mm-hmm. Uh, what time is it for you?
3: It's a little, it's almost one o'clock PM in the afternoon. So okay. yeah, it's so like you, much earlier for me.
4: <laughs> yeah. But we've got, got a whole
3: day ahead of me.
4: <laughs> you've got like, you're, you're getting to like the, the afternoon slump. Now we're at, we're at the mm-hmm. end of the day slump. So we're all equally knackered. So that's fine. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you you are you
3: are uh, I will say you are probably over anticipating how much I sleep in. <laughs> oh, <right.
2: laughs> oh, I, so are you are you, is is this your your breakfast glass of water that you're currently drinking?
3: Yeah yeah no I I see the one fun thing about having YouTube as your full time job is that you uh you can kind of just make your own schedule so it's like I I sleep in a fair bit because but to be fair I work until like two or three in the morning so it's it, it all evens out in the end but yeah no now it's like kind of my I just I like I still have my coffee mug on my table is kind of where I'm <laughs>
4: if, uh, if our boss Chris is listening I never sleep in ever I've never slept in once in my life <laughs> I occasionally grab sleep every
2: other Tuesday uh, okay. it's fine it's fine it's like energy 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 so Sean's taking a social media break for a while <laughs> yeah. um, and then energy 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 uh, and it seems to work um, yeah,
3: honestly, we I think we all need like a Jellico in our lives to be like, all right, you're working these shifts
2: right now, get on it, let's go. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, you're right. Where where's our fourth person? Where's Delta shift?
3: Yeah, there's Delta. We do. Oh, we do need a Delta shift. You know what? Oh, I, I don't even have my. Oh wait, here. Wait. Uh. I don't know why I have this here but I have a Yu-Gi-Oh figurine he'll be our four <laughs> it's the Perfect. thing I have within the thing I have within arms like is my Yu-Gi-Oh figurine weirdly enough
4: as they say in Yu-Gi-Oh it's time to talk about these episodes <laughs> <laughs>
2: Perfect. So we are now picking up. So obviously, as as you all remember, last week, we started on our opinions of episode seven of Stranger Worlds, These Old Scientists. We covered over what our good friend Sam Cockings thought, and we gave our sort of top line thoughts. Uh, we're going to really get into the weeds of it now as well. But first of all, Jesse, These Old Scientists, what did you think?
3: I adored the ever-loving hell of this episode so much. It was, like, legitimately everything I wanted from this episode. Like, the, the thing that I have to put first and foremost is that uh, Jack Quaid and Tawny Newsom just were so... Perfect. like I I like it it's difficult like we've seen these transitions from like animated character to live-action character before I think most uh prominently in like Star Wars where you see like characters like ahsoka and other things like becoming live-action characters um and and while you can still see the character that's from animation there um there is like a different interpretation there is like a different feel to them um but with Jack and Tawny bringing Boimler and Mariner to to like live action life I I just I had it was like it was seamless. It was seamless. I believed that they were their characters and they just brought the energy to it and, and you can just tell like what I love and I've met them both in person and they are like the sweetest human beings and I know that they are just so passionate about Star Trek and you can just see that on the screen from like Jack's like Riker uh ad lib uh which is the best thing to him like doing the Boimler butt walk to like uh Tawny just like getting the perfect Mariner cadence like her sitting like Mariner with her legs up and rolling up the sleeves like you just you just. See that these two are just so passionate about these characters, about Star Trek, with uh Tawny being a lifelong Trek fan and Jack Quaid becoming like a new Trek fan. Like it just it 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 oozes out from the episode. And what like shocks me even more about these episodes is I I've been I've watched it like five times now, is is that like um it's weirdly like even though it's technically mostly set in Strange New Worlds, it's a lower decks episode because in the sense that like the episode is Boimler's character arc like they're like other characters get stuff but boimler is the character who gets the the like whole character arc he gets a whole resolution throughout the entire episode and that is such a bold bold boimler thing to do uh with with an episode of like strange worlds like lower decks i love it but i know it's probably the less watched show of the two and so to like be like we're gonna give this character from another show the character arc of this episode and and hopefully people go along for the ride uh was just like so great and i have many many more thoughts about the episode, but it was it was honestly uh, a true joy, and I will add one thing: is I got to watch it in Hall H at San Diego Comic Con because uh, I was there for it, and it was. It was so wonderful. Like everyone cheering when like when Jack Quake came tumbling through the portal, Uh, everyone just cheering. The other thing about Hall H that I loved, and this was with the Discovery clip they showed too, is they have this like sound system that is like one of the best. And like they have such bass. So every time, every time a ship warps in, you feel it in your bones. Like I've never experienced that. It was like, oh, I it was like. It was, like, like just one of the best things. Like, every time a ship warps, you just, like, feel it in your body. I'm like, oh, yeah, this is great.
2: <laughs> oh, that is cool. Mm-hmm. Sorry, that is, that is seriously Because, like, we were sitting there, like, we had the the whole kind of, like, um like, what was it? Like, th- this kind of torn, we're so excited, San, you know, Comic-Con is on. Obviously, mm-hmm. you know, we're, you know, across the water and everything. Um, But then we also had the, like, you know, "Ah, ah, oh God, Comic-Con is on, cancel your weekend plans Mm -hmm, because, mm -hmm, yeah, yeah." mm -hmm. But I think I would happily cancel all weekend plans to do that episode with a big crowd because it's the kind of episode that just, the more people you get around you reacting to it and just seeing the feedback online and in our own Trek culture WhatsApp chat as well. mm -hmm. I mean, I think even even the dourest of us In -hmm. in Trek culture, which I say with love, um, (laughs) this is this 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 is like a a top, top Trek episode Mm -hmm. because of just everything you've said, um, because in a way, right, if you think on paper, I remember when when we heard about this, when Jack and Tony walked out at that Comic-Con panel last year. And they were like, and it was all a bit, I, I've said this before, so I say this with love, it was all a little bit awkward and it, it's, it was like they were told like two minutes beforehand, right, you're announcing this, go. And we're all like, oh, oh. And I remember we were also like, is this going to work? Like how, like what, is, uh, I mean like, yeah, as you said, we've done animation, how's it going to work? It was so much better than I'd even mm-hmm. hoped it was going to be.
4: I think as well, like we've sort of discussed it a bit here and there of, you know, is it going to be, lots of people have said, is it going to be a Roger Rabbit kind of thing? Um, is it going to be mostly Strange Strangely Worlds, but Lower Decks are sort of in the background, which I was, I think I was worried about at one point, like, mm-hmm. are they sort of just going to be there and they're going to be making jokes here and there and then we're going to move on. But it was about them, but it didn't feel like they were taking anything away either from Strangely Worlds, like it mm-hmm. fit perfectly. And, and we've said a lot that this feels like special in that, in that sort of... um the trials and tribulations kind of way like thinking about that something about star trek is every once in a while they do they have these like strokes of genius just out of the mm-hmm. blue like every like ra- just the odd season of a, of a show will suddenly just do this magical thing that everyone's going to talk about forever since since the first season like it's just mad that they keep pulling it off <laughs> it's yeah. just so weird yeah. And like, even like this season or most of this season, I've sort of been quite lukewarm with like, it's not been my favorite thing ever. And I have, I have issues with the sort of different tones and stuff. We'll get onto that for the next episode, I think. But, Mm. but even, even with that, like, it's like, Oh, well done. You just pulled this out of the bag, just out of the blue. Like how, (laughs) I mean, one of the reasons I probably is Jonathan Frakes directed the episode as well. And I was been speaking to my dad recently and, we were saying how good everything he directs is. And, and my dad has been watching stuff that he's directed that isn't Star Trek. And he's like, even that stuff is great. Like he is just amazing at what he does. So just give, I was saying the other day, give Star Trek to Jonathan Frakes, let him run with it. He knows what he's doing.
3: I, I would agree too with that, especially cause, um, you know, not to necessarily go too nitty gritty into my stuff, but I'm, I'm directing a film too recently. And because of that, I've been like studying, because it's like my first time on making a production of this level. And I've been studying directors that I really love. And, you know, there's there's elements of like, you know, directors that I I wanted to like steal, like like be steal, you know, great artists steal, but they yeah. like invoke their style. Like um the Wachowski sisters are two of my favorite filmmakers of all time. And I want to like use a lot of like their stylistic stuff. But when I was looking at it, And being like, what does it mean to be not just a director in terms of your creativity, but being a leader on set? And the person that I keep coming back to when I think about the leader that I want to be, it's Jonathan Frakes. Because I just listen to so many podcasts where he talks about his style of directing. Is like, I bring the energy that I want to like bring to the scene and try to be there and, and just enable everyone else's creativity and just bring this like joviality in the sense of like we're here to do a job we're here to do it we're here to have fun that's what this ultimately is and just Jonathan Frakes just constantly as a director just I think is is just such a warm human being who like is there to get things done he knows how to direct like even like a hard difficult emotional scene but do so in a way that enables everyone to feel safe comfortable and, and excited to be there and so like Jonathan Frakes just nails it and so and you can see that in this episode. Like again, I made it early, I said it earlier, but like just the fact that Jack Quaid felt like comfortable enough to go ranker and like ad lid that is, I think, I think a testament not only to like Jack Quaid's passion for, for the material, but to like uh Jonathan Frakes being like open enough for like someone to feel like they can do that comfortably. Um, I think is is uh is just really speaks to his his directing ability.
2: I I, I couldn't agree more because um uh, so uh, to go completely deep into my own stuff, I am not currently directing a project. <laughs> I have not directed a project in in. I've never directed any kind of uh, you know film or anything like that. I've directed theater. Um, hey, we that still that still counts. Hell yeah. Oh yeah, no, no, oh no. I, I don't say that disparagingly. I say that in that we were all college kids who thought we were the next Olivier. You know, <laughs> and like you know, kind of like. Uh, uh, I, I, I'm sure some will go on. My, right. What, what was my point of this? Oh, the directors who make everyone they feel it's okay to speak that they're not terrified to to step a a toe out of line obviously i'm not talking about like people who are just they'll just mess around on set you know that's Mm -hmm. that that's a different thing altogether but you know that collaboration is okay um because star trek i i find in kind of of a bigger scale it's funny when you compare well let's with the Jonathan Frakes of it all, the TNG stories where you always hear these stories of, you know, everyone was the best of friends and it was great mm. and everything was a load of fun. And and then, you know, Frakes goes over and directs a few episodes on DS nine and it was military. And you know, we you <laughs> know, we did nine to well, not nine to five, but you know, we did nine to tomorrow DS9. and you know need our work <laughs> nine and <then> to ds9 <laughs> nine to ds9 oh i like that oh oh i like that i like yep, that that's why
3: i'm here that's why you bring me on
2: <laughs> and, and it seems as though particularly this episode is to cross over with another show it's more tng again mm-hmm. you know it's mm-hmm. that it's that idea it's the things you learn along the way um like you know jonathan frakes who was this baby-faced uh, ridiculously tall human being in 1987 who, you know, stepped on to, who was very mean to Jordy in his first appearance. Mm-hmm. But other than that, uh, you know, it was, you know, cut a rug. And now he is, I agree with you, Tom. Like, I'd say he is the next, you know, the next Roddenberry. And that's, no disrespect to Alex Kurtzman. If there currently is a boss there, don't get me wrong. <laughs> but yeah.
3: He is, he is, he has become like the the glue of the entire Star Trek universe. I mean, he's appeared in what every he's he has better way to put it, he has a credit, I think, on every single Star Trek show, except for Prodigy in the original series, I think. Is that is I think that's correct? That in an animated series, I guess, too. So correct. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I feel like cuz he's on Next Gen, he's on Deep Space 9, he's on Voyager, he's on Enterprise, he's on Discovery as a director, he's on Picard both as a director and an actor, he's on Strange New Worlds as a director, he's uh on Lower Decks as an actor. So yeah, I think that's literally uh I guess short treks technically, so like yeah, here and there he's but he's on most of Trek and he has any he, and he certainly is just like a presence there. Hell, he's even on The Orville if you want to talk about that as like a Trek adjacent thing. So, yeah, it's 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 a uh, he is that like Trek glue. Uh, which I, th- feels inappropriate to say. Uh, <laughs> just the phrase Trek
2: glue. <laughs> oh, no. no, no, totally fine, totally fine. And, and, and you know what? I'm gonna say Schrodinger's frakes, mm. on, particularly on project prodigy, because mm-hmm. we don't who know. With, yeah. With who. Also, Schrodinger's Frakes both is and isn't, and Star Trek Prodigy as well.
4: Do we have criticisms at all of this episode, if you can think of any? The only criticism I have, and it's the most minor thing ever, is there's a tiny bit towards in the middle where I was like, I get the idea, let's do something new. It was just a bit of, I think they were really wanting to set up like, this is Boimler and he needs to make sure that he doesn't say anything that he can't say, and it just went on for like maybe five more minutes more than I'd like. But honestly, that's such a minor thing. But that 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 I that because I like the episode so much, my brain was going. I'm noticing things I don't like so much. So, is there anything you can think of?
3: I think like the only thing I can really think of, uh, and again, it's like it, it, this is me stretching for something. Is I, I feel like the discussion of the Orions could have been a tad clearer. Because I think like the point that was uh, trying to be made with the Orions in the episode was like, uh you know you shouldn't judge a book by its cover there's a little bit of like presumptuous racism it's kind of breaking down the monoculture idea of of star trek that like Tendi does so well on lower decks um but i think kind of bringing that into strange world and kind of discussing it as like a difference between eras of star trek as like like yeah, the original series versus like the tng era where like even the klingons for example got expounded upon and things like that um and showed to be more than just like one thing so i think there was like a like kind of a meta commentary on that but it was just sort of like phrased in this way of like oh it's era appropriate and i think that was a little bit too meta uh, in terms of like right. addressing the difference where it could have been more, I think, phrased as like, hey, maybe, you know, I know this area you haven't encountered uh, Orions who aren't pirates, but it is sort of presumptuous. Like I, there, there's probably, again, you know, I'd have to like sit and like write down the script, but there's probably a little bit of a way to like make the phrasing of it a little bit. I think uh, like just to get that through line a little bit better across in a way that didn't come across. So meta. Yeah. Um and also at the end too, it was still unclear to me that the Orions uh, w- were they actually pirates or were they scientists? Because it sort of like came across as like, we'll say that you're the scientist, and the guy's like, oh, that's all i always ever wanted. But it's like, is he actually a pirate or is he <laughs> yeah. a scientist who hasn't really seen that way? It was it just I think I think the Orion stuff could have been a little bit clearer. Is I think probably my biggest critique. But again, that's me like really looking for it because I got it. It worked. It just yeah. I think you could have you could have you know you know hammered it out a little bit more but that's again the nittiest of nitpicks i was
4: kind of thinking of that thing as like the klingon science officer from tng who's like mm-hmm. you're like oh they've got a science officer and she's throwing beverly around the, the, the place and you're like yeah. Oh, yeah, okay she's the klingon so i was thinking like is that what they're doing like they are mm-hmm. this but also yeah i don't know
3: I mean You know, it's it's probably like again, this is like you could go deeper, deeper into this, but it's probably like some level of like cultural stuff. Like there, like here in the United States, there's uh, for example, like there's a big like sort of uh rah-rah individualism sort of cult in 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 America and general, where it's like, yeah, we we pick ourselves up by our bootstraps. That like even if you're not someone who fully believes in that or like goes against it, you still have it like in, in the back of your mind sometimes because you're sort of steeped in it. So I'm assuming yeah. like there might be something with like the Orions and like the Ferengi too is like this capitalist thing. Like not everyone uh, like believes in the capitalism Ferengi. I mean, look at Nog, look at Rom, but they still like kind of have it in the back of their brain. So maybe that's still a little bit of like the just the cultural ethos of Orions that even when you're a scientist, it's like, you know, it, it seeps in. It's like you even see it with the Klingons too, I thought it was in um, Deep Space Nine where you have that Klingon lawyer who's like, I'm a lawyer, but I, I view law as a battle sort of
4: thing. Yeah. So. Maybe something for them to explore mm-hmm. in later seasons, if if they want to do more Orion stuff. I suppose.
3: Yeah, I mean, uh, Meg McMahon said that they were going to go to Orion in lower deck, so that we might see it there.
4: So plus, I mean, another example is some
2: Gorn had to invent warp drive. Mhm yeah, yeah. yeah.
3: Um, I really hope I really hope on strange new I I know they won't I know they won't but I really want on strange new worlds when we get the gorn again cuz we we know it's coming at some point mm-hmm. um yeah. they're certainly building that back up that we see like adult gorn and it's just dude in rubber suit like we have these like alien <laughs> xenomorph like horrific monsters that just actually evolve into dude in a suit i would love that so much
2: <laughs> he's just walking around like you know and we see like it, the uh subtitles on the bottom and he's like groaning and everything and he says <laughs> you know enjoy being fast now kids cuz <laughs> when you grow up it you slow down everything
3: yeah, yeah, it's just it's just like the uh the rubber the rubber gourd suit is just like the aging gorn. I love
2: that. That would be wonderful, actually. <laughs> I had what some I had one thing about the episode that let me, it's not a criticism, but it left me with a question. So Lower Dex is 2382, 2381, 2382. Uh, and we know prodigy is minimum 2384. Mm-hmm. Important. Una is the poster child for recruitment for starfleet and yet mm. you still have to get a big favor from admiral janeway to get dal in as a warrant officer in yeah right. and yeah. technically
3: yeah. even seven of nine too so
2: yeah so mm. technically they could like starfleet could have just been like what genetic engineering no she wasn't delirium, she was a lyrian <laughs> so that would and that's why i'm just like okay that's that's fine um but yeah it was just like I love the message at Aspera, at Per Aspera. I love that. And I'm delighted that she is the the recruitment, like, you know, the poster child for Starfleet. But then I was just like, oh, my God, is this actually a really dark statement? And I was, everything in Starfleet is just a lie from, yeah. you know, <laughs> the 2380s onwards. And if anyone asks the question, you just have an admiral go to sheer in hubris.
3: I mean, I mean, it's uh, this uh, this is my brain, this is my writer brain going. It's like I would love this to actually be a storyline that you could actually talk about because we see it today too, of like the like token person of like, they pick themselves up by their, their bootstraps of like, um you know, there's like these things of like, look at, you know, X minority, look at this trans person that like managed to like get into government in the United States. They, they did it themselves or they're good old fashioned, like pick again, pick up themselves up by the bootstraps and will like become these poster child for like trans excellence or whatever, queer excellence. Um, and yet the system in the United States is very clearly, you know, targeted against trans people, queer people, and many other marginalized folks as well. And so you could have like a commentary in Star Trek about how Like they make Una the poster child of like, look, you can even even when you're facing prejudice, you can you can succeed in this system and not as we see with like Bashir, with Dahl, with even Seven of Nine, um, as we heard in season two of Picard, like they still face some level of prejudice. I think that would actually be like an excellent episode or or discussion to like have in a you know star trek legacy series or a um star trek prodigy even or like something that's set in like the lower dexian 25th century era
2: well we've got to keep politics out
4: of star trek
3: yeah no politics. <laughs> no, oh, 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 no, no politics no, in no star place trek whatsoever we're... yes yeah, yeah. can't have that no
4: <laughs> well it feels weird moving along so quickly but I'm keeping track Speaking of time. Speaking politics and Star Trek. <laughs> yeah. There's, there's some things that really links with that. Um, but unless, is there anything else we want to bring up before we, move on
3: uh one thing i will just say too uh, i'll just make it real quick uh that i loved about those old scientists was that it while it was born the story every character gets a beat and they have they again it's it felt like very lower dexian and how economical it was because what i love about is you get all these like little economical stories in every episode even though there's other stuff going on like it fulfills other character arcs um and I loved that the, those old scientists like touch upon so many characters arcs and managed to move them forward in interesting ways. Like, for example, uh, just to give a quick one, Spock's arc, where like he's with Boimler and he has that like moment where he says, you know, I still want to, I'm still, I'm finding myself drawn towards chance. And I thought like even that line just had so many layers of like they were building Heronium and it was a 50-50 chance if it would work. So it works on that level. It works on the level of like him playing with emotions versus logic. It plays with the time travel theme of the episode of like Boimler may have changed things uh for Spock and him being leaning more emotional. Uh and like, and so like just that line just does so much work in terms of developing Spock's arc over this episode. Um, same thing with Una, like she her learning that she becomes the poster girl. It kind of caps off her arc from episode. Too, where she's like things are like you know we didn't change the system there's still problems with Starfleet accepting genetically engineered people in Starfleet and we can't because this is a prequel series we can't we she can never get resolution on that because we know Julian Bashir faces the same thing so she'll never get full resolution on seeing like Starfleet's 100% but she does get a chance through Boimler to learn it was worthwhile it does inspire people it does make a difference um and so i i feel like this episode just did such a great job of even with small moments completing or moving forward character arcs in really interesting ways so yeah did, those old scientists just great great uh like writing model i love it
4: yeah but I, I definitely thought it had that it felt like watching the cartoon i was watching it and i was interested in, in how they wrote it and, and did it in that way i've been this is, a, well, it's sort of a strange link, but also not. I've been watching Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt for the first time. <laughs> fun and, show, fun show. Yeah, which has Carol Kane in it. Yeah. Um, But I've always, uh, watching it, I I always say to my wife that, like, it feels like I'm watching a live-action cartoon. And it has that same vibe in both of them. Like, you have the the way they go between the different characters and making sure that everyone has a thing in it, in that sort of cartoon fashion, like, it's, it means everyone gets something silly to do, but also means everyone gets a part to play in the episodes. I think they do that very well. Let's rate episode seven of Strange New Worlds, uh, starting with out of 10. Jesse, uh, what would you rate this episode?
3: I know, I know if I was being uh, more like critic brain, I would find more things to bring it down. But I just have to give it a 10 out of 10. And I know that that is... I know that that is uh, probably just my particular love of Lower Decks mixing in here, but I have to. I have to give it a 10 out of 10. I, I love it so much. It was great.
4: Hey, that's our first 10 out of 10. So mm-hmm. that feels Are good. I'm being
3: honest, it's probably <laughs> a 9 out of 10, but, you know, yeah. I, I I love it so much. It's a 10 out of 10.
4: <laughs> yeah, it's like the things where the nostalgic itch like mm-hmm. bumps it up. You're allowed to have those things. Mm-hmm. Um, if this doesn't break
2: the counter, I'm going to stick with my ups and downs score. I'm giving it an 81. <laughs> <laughs>
3: an 81 out of 10 <laughs> okay. 81 out
2: of 10 exactly yeah um, it, and the exact same reason I'm sure I could I could pick apart bits of it or you know maybe well no, no I'm giving
4: it a 10 sorry Tom <laughs> it's okay uh, as the miserable lout I am <laughs> I'm giving it a light 8 which is the highest score uh, I've given so far <laughs>
3: yeah, that's good I see well, my god tell- Diversity, infinite diversity, and infinite combinations. Yeah. You can have different opinions. You're wrong, but you can have
2: different opinions. <laughs> Jesse, well, Jesse, that's so nice of you to put it that way. I just genuinely, Tom, I didn't think you knew any numbers bigger than seven.
4: I know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm giving it like eight because it's one. Of, it's it's weird, It's one of those episodes that like I love, and I have so many good things to say about it. And like the stuff I don't like about it is so minuscule that it doesn't really matter. But to me, it is similar to trials and tribulations, where it's. Is such a fun special episode, yet it's not my favorite. Like it's one of those things where like I have episodes that are like top-tier Star Trek for me, and this doesn't make it, but it makes the other list of super memorable fun that I'm, um, you know, it's its own thing kind of thing. So I think that's why it stays around that point for me.
3: I think I agree with you because uh because like if I had to put my again critic cap on, I would say the best episode of this season for me is Episode two, because I think that just does, I think, what Star Trek should do, which is like really directly talk about issues of today um, in a very didactic and opening yet hopeful way. Um, so I think that's the best episode of the season. But if I had to be like Jesse's favorite, it's this one.
4: Let's move swiftly on to episode eight.
2: Uh, on, under the cloak of war. So basically we're going from trials and tribulations to the siege of AR-558. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah.
3: And then next episode is the musical episode. So... <laughs>
4: yeah.
3: So yeah. A I'm, all,
4: I'm all for changing tones, but what must the writer's room have been like? <laughs> I know. It's both funny and a problem. I think that's that's the thing with this season at the moment. It's like, oh, this is hilarious. We got, we got this and then we're going all the way down here and then we're going all the way up. Like having one of the most intense episodes that, that gives you so many questions and leaves you feeling how do I feel about this character and how do I feel about this dude mm. and then Whoa, they're singing woohoo like it's so like <laughs>
0: what's going yeah. on
3: <laughs> yeah it is it is it is one of those and, and like I don't think this is a knock against the episode like this episode does leave you feeling very ambiguous morally about Mbenga and To A Degree Chapel as well and mm-hmm. so yeah it is going to be weird next week to be like and now they're singing and talking about like relations I'm sure they'll like be as like a song about <laughs> Chapel and Spock and it's like like that's just, it. Just feels weird, and like I, I actually love that Strange Worlds like has these tonal ups and downs. But this is just so like high, low, high in yeah. terms of like emotion. Uh, that it was, it was just weird, and and so yeah, I feel like that, and I get the place that they probably were in, with, like this story with Imbenga needs to come later in the season because we have to like seed all of this stuff to get there throughout the season mm-hmm. with Chapel with her. Uh, I with, with, sorry, with Chapel with Imbenga and all that jazz. So I get that it had to come at this point, and I guess they were like, well, we don't want to have like. Strange New Worlds and the musical episodes are right next to each other as well. So we have to, like, kind of put something between them, and this is the one that made sense. But it is just kind of, like, it is, yeah. it is a whiplash.
4: But I love episodic TV. I love Star Trek trying strange things. But it's it's got to feel like the same show. It has mm-hmm. to have a similar tone and vibe throughout. And within that, you explore whatever you want. Do you know what I mean? Like... Again, if this was a cartoon, it would feel like the same cartoon show that, it, you know, you wouldn't go, oh, that's strange. They're trying a musical straight after this episode. That's weird. You would go, oh, yeah, th- this is this one. You know, the gripes I had with season one, they fixed for me. And now I've got very different gripes of season <laughs> two. I'm hoping season three is like they find the balance somewhere.
3: I, I would actually if I if I may push back a hair on that one. I, I everyone actually does like don't the, worry, go
4: ahead.
3: <laughs> <laughs> you're all good. Uh I, I think for me, like, especially since this show in particular is evoking like the original series, which especially at that time of television, like the original series basically was like an anthology show. It was sort of meant to be like the Twilight Zone. The only thing being is like we can reuse sets and characters instead of like having to find whole new sets, whole new characters every single episode. Um and so, because that era was very much kind of like that in a large in a large way. And so I feel like I the anthology feel of the series where it is sort of a tonal whiplash a little bit, I think is is I think actually a good thing. And I actually kind of like that Star Trek is kind of especially this series in particular. I don't need every Star Trek series to be that, but this one in particular, getting that sort of vibe of doing new and different things and really exploring boldly, especially if you're going to be using a concept that's similar to the original series from the 60s instead of doing the same thing, like taking that ethos and doing something different with it i'm here for i just think like you know if you look at like things like like uh twilight zone or black mirror or even uh i actually like love listening to interviews with people behind the scenes uh like when they make anthology shows of like how do they order them because there is an art to mm-hmm. ordering anthology episodes of like or start off happy then we'll go we'll go dark or, and then we'll go sad again and like like find that balance or we're like we'll arc up high and then bring them really down like like there is like a there's an art to it, and I feel like these episodes, I don't really think particularly perfected that in in terms of their connection to each other.
2: I think I think that is uh, that that's a really 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 good way of looking at it because like so this is the funny these are being released week to week, and yet we still we live in a binge culture. So mm-hmm. um, I I can I can well imagine the as these were being produced and as they were being made, there was nearly like look, we know people are going to watch this, duh, 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 duh. and I don't know how I would feel having gone from. The, you know Spock going my arm does not normally do this and I'm <laughs> going is this to I am drama <laughs> oh, my gentle Jesus Um, but mm-hmm. I mean and yet both are fabulous both are fantastic but if you look at because everyone um, Chris said it we've said it I found this was a very DS9 episode mm-hmm. now mm-hmm. DS9 I still think is the show that managed episodic yet arcs, probably the best of all mm-hmm. of them. Um and like they had like nor the battle to the, or, nor the battle to the strong and trials and tribulations were fairly close together as well. Which actually I'm just realizing right now. But anyway, yeah, they're fairly close together as well. And I think they'd managed the tone change
4: that was a little bit more consistent.
3: Yes. Um, agree, um, yeah.
4: Across that. There's also so- like many more episodes around it as well.
3: 'Cause like for example, I think the best example of that is like um you have the what is it, like the six episodes uh of like the the, the war episodes of uh Deep it's Space Wars. Nine. And then right after that, you get like the fun. I think it was like the baseball episode was then, right? Yeah. What it is,
2: the wedding. Yes. Is the wedding. Oh, you're dead. Yeah.
3: Yeah. So it's like it's Back like the it's Christ like of angels, it? you
2: are cordially invited. Okie dokie.
3: Yeah. Yeah, well, like it, it, it's a, it's a but it's like that that was but then it wasn't like right back to war stuff right immediately next either. It was like a gradual like dark dark dark. All right, let's have a lighter one. Then we'll get a little bit darker again, a little bit darker again. It's just like again that like waves instead of yeah. like brick walls like plummeting like uh like uh well into darkness into despair and then high up again.
4: <laughs> yeah, and those lighter episodes felt like a nice little break where mm-hmm. this with this it's like. It's more of a roller coaster where it's, there's no break <laughs> yeah. you just don't know what's going to happen. <laughs> no. I yeah, we
3: we are lucky that we, yeah as, as John you were saying it's like a binge culture like we were watching it week to week but i imagine someone like getting the DVD and watching this a year from now or like 2 years from now yeah. and being like, "Oh, this is a girl. oh god." <laughs> <laughs> oh, fun music. Yeah. yeah. I need I think I need to sleep now. I'm tired.
4: <laughs> so, what do we think of the actual episode? What are our thoughts? Um I, I know I have I have lots of thoughts and I lots of questions. I've seen lots of discourse for this episode. There's very strong opinions on either side. And I think as the boring podcast man I am, I'm going to come down somewhere in the middle. So I'd be interested to know what you guys think.
3: I think for me, I've been thinking a lot about it because it, most episodes of the show, uh, the, the season of like, I've watched it. And then the more I've watched it, the more I've liked it. And this one is like, the more I've watched it, the more I've kind of found issues with it because i've watched a couple times now um and that's not to say i think it's bad like it's not going from like great to oh this is terrible but i'm finding more things that like perturb me a little bit i think a lot of it revolves around the kind of ambiguous ending of this episode because i think a lot of the discussion of this episode uh and i love ambiguous endings but i think the way that this one works doesn't entirely land for me because I like most of this episode in the sense that it is a really good exploration of war trauma. You know, as someone who, you know, I have not experienced war trauma, but I have dealt with PTSD from stuff that's happened in my life without going into too much detail. You know, it is something that is 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 difficult to work through and sometimes doesn't always have easy answers. Like, I, lo- I actually like love the stuff with Chapel and Spock, where it's like at certain points, like Chapel just tells Spock, there's nothing you can really do. And having been on both sides of that feeling of being like, I want to help somebody, but I can't. Um, and, and feeling powerless, but also knowing like the best thing you can do at that point is just saying, I'll be there if you need me. And then just letting them dictate when they need you, if they need you. Um, and that's, and it's, it's so hard to do. It's so hard to feel powerless, but sometimes this is what you need to do. I thought that was, a I thought, I thought ending on that note with Chaplain Bach was great, actually, because I think it's something that people need to learn sometimes with people who are going through stuff. It's like, sometimes you can't fix it. And that's, you just have to be okay with that. Um, so I thought I love that the stuff with Mbenga being like, you know, I don't believe in the and, and Ortega's too is like, I don't believe this guy's reformed. Um, and I think it kind of mirrors uh Star Trek six in in Kirk's de- like sort of discussion with the Klingons and like he feel like I don't think they can reform, I think they're this way. And I appreciate that this episode, because it does take place earlier in the timeline, and the trauma is so much more fresh of the war versus the more specific trauma that Kirk has with his son. Um But uh, but still, like it's a much fresher, more generalized trauma um, that like it doesn't it doesn't have a clear answer, like Kirk getting over his bigotry from the individual act of a single Klingon is 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 a little bit. I don't want to say easier because it is very traumatic, but it is more understandable of like how you can sort of work through that versus something like I was traumatized by this thing that was just so much bigger than me and bigger than all of us. Um, and so it, there is going to be those unresolved issues. Um, and I and I think that, that like that ending of like Mbenga doesn't entirely work through it, I think that also works well for me and and feeling like we need to accept accountability. Where I have issues with the episode is I get that the episode wanted to have this sort of like ambiguous, we don't know where Mbenga's like what Mbenga's actions were and moral ambiguity on it. And I think that is fine. But I think I needed the episode to provide a little bit more of its own um, sense of and I didn't need it to have like a big speech, but a sense of opinion on on that just to like give me a little bit of guidance, because I there's this argument that people make and I'll make this quick. I know I'm speaking a lot, but I want to be very clear on this because I I know this will be picked apart a little bit. There's this sometimes take that people have where it's like, oh, I love it when a show just lets like present stuff and lets you figure it out. Right. And I disagree with that model of storytelling because I don't think Star Trek has really ever done that. Um, if you go back to like episodes like the Cloudminders, that was an episode where like uh, in the original series where it was like very clear, like here's a labor dispute issue and we know which side is really messed up. And I didn't need the episode to like stop and be like, let me give you a speech, but just present the situation that allows you to feel like there's a a sense of like where where the morality is. Like I think for example, like episodes like, uh, like Similitude, uh, in Enterprise, like there's a clear like ethical conundrum that you could work through, Tuvix you could work through, but there is like some elements of some characters making stances of like the doctor in Tuvix saying like, I am not going to do this. Um, and so you, it, it does not have, preach at you, but there's an, epi- there's an element of like an, a, a moral stance. And this episode just kind of like at the end, just walks this like down the middle line. To the point where even when Pike comes in, I wanted Pike, and I—I'm not even saying the audience had to agree with him, but I need a Pike to, to give like the speech that Cisco gives Worf at the end of uh, uh, when the ep- I forget the name of the episode where he saves Jet'sia's life where Sisko's like, you will never make captain. And you are presented with two characters who have very strong moral opinions, where it's like, it was absolutely worth it to save Judsia, versus Sisko's like, this was the wrong choice for Starfleet. And you can still, like, argue the ethics of that, but you have strong opinions. Whereas in this episode, you end with Pike coming out and saying, well, we could work something out. And it just, it didn't feel like he had a strong opinion on the matter. And I really needed the episode to present those strong opinions From the characters so that I could really have a sense of like what this episode was grappling with and because it didn't really have that and because it just wanted to walk the line it leaves me feeling just nebulous about everything and I'm not saying I would have had to agree with Pike or agree with Mbenga but I needed much stronger convictions from the characters within the show not even necessarily the episode to really feel stronger about this episode. So sorry that that was such a long rant, but it's, oh, it's no, a please. hard thing to work through because it was just, it's a very difficult episode and topic to talk about.
2: So uh, I, I just want to jump in really quickly because it it is, you're right, Tom, and, and of course you're right as well, Jesse. This is already, there's much more discourse around this episode than there was about These Old Scientists, because mm-hmm. These Old Scientists, which we all love, mm-hmm. quite a simple episode. You, mm-hmm. know, it, it, you know, it's kind of like the discourse is, did you love it or not? I, I realize <laughs> yeah. that's summarizing. This one. <laughs> Um, so one of the biggest disagreements that I've seen online is, so in the ups and downs, I come down and I downed the frosted glass because for me, there's no ambiguity at all in the ending. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. Ra ran at Mbenga and he ended up on the wrong end of a knife. That's, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. to me, that's not an ambiguous ending. And where where I think you phrased it perfectly is that where the, the ending would have been stronger if Mbenga knew what he did Pike knew what he did. Chapel knew what he did. And maybe they don't say it, mm-hmm. but we all know Agreed. that yes. this, yeah. this is what happened. And then Pike going, maybe we can work something out. But instead of that, and this is not against performance or anything like, but it was kind of like, it was almost his, his you know, kind of maybe we can work something mm-hmm. out, you know, kind of mm-hmm. a, but it was the, I have to ask you, no, you don't. We all mm-hmm. know. And also, What's a bit convenient that the CCTV that's all over the ship all the time when you need it suddenly isn't working? You know, things like that. Yeah. It's like, but let's hang a lampshade on that. It's like, we know, you know, right. We maybe didn't need to see it. I would actually, if I was, and with the greatest of respect to the director, the editor, I'm not telling anyone to do their job, I would just cut that bit with the frosted glass altogether. Mm-hmm. Just have Chapel walk in and Raz dead on the ground.
3: Yeah. I, I think that that's a much better way to have done it. Yeah. I, I think, yeah, I think you took what I was trying to rambly get to and be very concise about it. Cause yeah, I think that that is, I think that is the exact thing where it's just like, I just needed. And again, I think what, what ambiguous endings kind of work for is like when the ambiguous endings sort of make you wrestle with the question. And here, I feel like the ambiguous endings, I think confuses our ability to really articulate what's going on here um as opposed to like the ambiguous ending sort of enabling the conversation i think it this is this obfuscates it um no pun intended i guess uh and uh and so i think that I, yeah i think that i just needed a bit stronger convictions not even from the episode in terms of like the episode having a clear opinion on the matter but convictions from the characters in terms of where they were all standing in this
4: so I have opposing opinions on this. <laughs>
0: oh, I love it! Mm-hmm.
4: I, I do agree with a lot of things you guys have said. Um, other things, I'm not... So, so I agree about Pike. Pike was actually my least favourite part of this episode. Mm-hmm. I thought he was so wishy-washy throughout the whole thing that I thought, what's the point of you? <laughs> like, mm-hmm. What are mm-hmm. you as a captain if are you so this is not diplomatic this is just nothing (laughs) like it was Mm -hmm. very strange but i I have i actually liked the frosted glass thing and i and I, i might be still forming this opinion now so forgive me if it doesn't really make sense but i didn't see it so much as a um ambiguous thing more of a it was taking away the power of the ending like with this whole episode and with the war and with everyone's feelings, you had that just sort of deflated, ugh, like this is just miserable and like it it doesn't matter who did what and why and and Benga actually did that, but no one's going to find out. And and then last minute when you're finally getting some sort of action and maybe a resolution of some sort, they're not even going to let you see it. I kind of like that. I do see why it didn't work for a lot of people, but it left me feeling... Ugh, at the end of the episode which I think was the point I don't I don't know mm. I know I'm doing the political no one can see it but I'm doing the political thumbs <laughs> at the moment I'm speaking Um. but with all that being said something I said in the first episode of this podcast when we were sort of wrapping up talking about Bacard season 3 the best thing about this episode for me is that people are talking about it where mm. again season 7 amazing season 7 episode 7 amazing but like you said did you like it yeah cool like this one there's so much to talk about which i think is great
3: i would i i always say uh unless i find something like egregiously offensive like it's some sort of like which this episode is not it's like like nazi propaganda or whatever um i always prefer something to like give me something to discuss rather than something just like oh yeah that was fine or like it was like perfectly executed great but like yeah it was good you know what i mean like um Like for example, I think a good example of this, like you mentioned the word "whiplash" earlier, but like the movie "Whiplash," I think is yeah. a great movie. I disagree heavily with its like ultimate thesis of that film, which is like sometimes like authoritarian fascist abusive tactics are 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 worth worthwhile because they yeah. get you some. They get I'm, you some I'm with you
4: on life. this. I'm like yeah. no, no. It's yeah, it's like bad. I disagree, <laughs> and
3: then, I know this is gonna, That's going to be a hot take. I'm sure there'll be comments yeah. with people. It's like like again, there's again, but that's the point I'm saying. It's like I. I think I disagree with Whiplash's thesis as a film, but I I am interested to have that discussion with the film on its terms because I think mm-hmm. it's a fascinating movie. Um, so yeah, I, I like same thing with this where like I think there's there's a lot of interesting discussion to be had. Um, and I don't want to be like it, the answers in the discussion. I think like it's worthwhile to have like convictions, but I like the conversation that comes out of it. So yeah, yeah. I'm always with something like being again unless it's like egregiously offensive, like code of honor or something. Yeah, yeah. I appreciate <laughs> the uh the 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 discussion
4: on it. It's funny you say whiplash because I was thinking when you were talking about that, the film Babylon directed by Mm. the same guy, which is a film (laughs) that if people hate, I don't disagree with them. But the things that I don't like about that film are also the things I like about that film. And anything like that, like it's, I I don't come out of Babylon and, and like tell my family to go watch it. And, but at the same time, I'm really glad I watched it and I can have so many discussions about it. So Yeah, more interesting media is what we're saying, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
3: And yeah, I I think I I like your idea that like, and again, I think I personally dislike it. Um, and maybe even make come and I try to like remove my expectations of what Star Trek is, but maybe it actually even comes from an element of what I expect Star Trek to be. Um, mm-hmm. if I'm gonna self-analyze of I, I get your point about it being like the frustration with the end of the episode is part of the point, because that's the frustration people in war feel. Like this mm-hmm. feeling like unresolved, like we don't really know how to yeah. handle this.
4: Unresolved uh, is is I think yeah. what I was trying to get at.
3: Yeah, and I think that that's like I think they're trying to give the viewer that same feeling that people who experience wartime trauma deal with, and I actually really like that as a as a as a like way to think about it. Um, but personally, and again, maybe this is coming from my expectations of Star Trek, and I try to remove that, but maybe that is a little bit of what it is. If I'm if I'm thinking about, it, is like I always want Star Trek to aim a little bit of like towards hope, yeah, towards towards like how can we be better? Like even in in the pale moonlight which I think is another episode that like you have a character doing, you know, some darker stuff. Like even he, Cisco as a character is sort of like wrestling with the decisions he's made and how that has sort of, uh, he has done this kind of terrible thing in order to try to hold on to the hope of the Federation. I always think of that moment where he's, he like puts his hand on where his Starfleet badge should be, even though he's not wearing it. Um, It's just a great performance by Avery Brooks in that scene. And so here, I don't think that this episode has that like sort of, clear wrestling with that hopeful message of star trek
0: mm-hmm. and i think
3: that that should have come through with i think i think again i i'm hearing just talking about this over i think the weakest part of this episode is pike and i think what i really needed pike to be and all the characters are reacting to him is this way because all the characters are like we need to do this for pike we need to do this because pike believes in like all the characters say that and so what i actually think the episode would have been much better about doing is pike being that like clear this is what starfleet values are this is what we believe in and even if yeah. the episode ended on being like, maybe Pike's wrong, or maybe there's nuance that Pike's missing here. Um, but Pike has that sort of like hard stance of like, this is what we fight for instead of this like waffly feeling that he has throughout the episode. I think yeah. that would have provided a better contrast for us to have the discussion of But again, and, and I think that that's what I would have liked for this episode to do. But maybe again, that that frustration is part of the point.
2: There's that like the, the, the I think where the intention for this was for Pike to be in that rock in a hard place position of, mm-hmm. look, you know, you, you mentioned you've got to be the Kirk in Undiscovered Country, you go to that. And I don't know whether it was the script or the direction, whatever, it was, it was all just a bit wet pasta.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: You know, if anyone pushes quite hard in any direction, you're just going to see Pike fold. And that's also not the Pike that we've seen up until this episode. Yeah, uh, yeah. You know, uh, so not only was it frustrating in and of of itself in the episode, it's also frustrating in that, well, well, hold on. This isn't the character that we've seen or has been shown to us up until this point.
0: You
3: know what? Actually, I just thought of a good, good example of this is um, the finale of season one, where we see Pike be that hopeful, like, this is the way you handle this situation. And he fails because he's not Kirk. Uh, and and it presents that exact thing I was saying. Is like here's Pike being that hopeful version of Starfleet, and the episode itself is challenging that. And mm. that's and I think and it provides us a good place to have that like strong conviction of conversation on. Of like Pike failed here, but because he was holding on to these values. And it's like where's the where's the nuance in that? Whereas here we don't get we don't get that Pike here. We get this wiffly waffly Pike that yeah. it, uh, doesn't allow us to like project the conversation into as well.
4: And. I was just thinking like, when I think of Cisco, and this is related, when I think of Cisco, there's an episode I always go back to where they're they're in some sort of predicament and Dax makes this like snide comment and then Cisco in Cisco fashion goes, Dax, I don't know if you haven't realized, but no one is laughing. And he just like suddenly just rips <laughs> into them. And it's so, like, th- that's what we need in this episode. We needed a captain who was like laying down the law and giving some some sort of like standpoint mm-hmm. that, that's like in the middle and like, I am the captain, which I know isn't so much his thing, but just something. We need something.
2: Mm-hmm. Do, do, you, do you know what? Do you know, what I agree? Do you know who was that? No, it was only in a really short scene, but in that episode, in this episode, it was Una. Mm-hmm. Una comes and yeah. says, finish the, like, like, I'm telling you this. Well, Yeah, Starfleet's mission, it's all about peace, it's all about reconciliation, but you can't ask the people out there to just get over the war. Um, So here's a way of... And that was brilliant. I I, I guess maybe Pike had to be failing at taking charge for that scene to happen. Um, Yeah. Well,
3: it could have been. It could have been that Uno's influenced him to then create have that stance. Like, he's a little bit with off, in the beginning. Uno then pushes him to have that stance, yeah. and then that creates the contrast at the end between him and Mbenga. Um, mm-hmm. But the fact that... But it doesn't feel like Pike changes too much because of that scene with Uno.
4: We could have had conflict with Pike. Like, this is his view. Oh, mm-hmm these things have made me realize that maybe I should think about it a different way, but it's just mm-hmm. nothing. And the, something I wrote down in this episode, which I, is is the, the writing is just lacking. There's a lot of points they make, a lot of the beats, it's it's even very ham-fisted or it's just not quite fleshed out enough or it's, mm-hmm. it's just that little bit more that an episode like this, it, if it had, would have been something so much more, I think so much better. Yeah. Uh, something I did love though, um, which we haven't mentioned yet, a cameo by Clint Howard. I oh, yeah, was just thinking that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> just, okay, when I saw him, I time. actually I went, <laughs> when I saw him, I was like, great, perfect. Bring it back. Yeah.
3: I, I will, I, the, the, I, if I were going to talk positive episodes, we talked about the ending a lot of this yeah. episode. Um, The thing that I liked a lot uh, was the wartime stuff, like the actual depiction of wartime stuff, because, uh, you know i'm on record as like i like discovery more than a lot of, like season one of discovery i mean particularly discovery overall i love season one of discovery is the most contentious season particularly i feel like uh and i'm on the side of like i like it i have a lot of issues with it but i like it um but one criticism that i feel like of it is that like it's like we hear a lot about the Klingon war but because discovery is kind of like a ship off to the side we don't mm. really get to see the war very often it kind of is like Skipped over in, in at certain points that season, quite literally skipped over, um, and this is the first time where I'm like, oh, this felt like a war, um, and I, those scenes with Mbenga and Chapel like in a essentially a mash unit dealing with that stuff that felt like a war and i and I actually really loved the scene where um mbenga sort of uh talks to that one ensign and the ensign's like i sent to starfleet to be you know a hopeful explorer and now i'm doing this and mbenga sort of rah-rahs him up and that's what like leads the war like the kid to become like oh i'm gonna go and fight and and how mbenga like he's like oh shit did i the guilt that he feels like that little beat i thought was heartbreaking in a great way um yeah. and and those scenes of war i thought were really good and i'll also give credit like uh it just looks great too visually the volume they filmed on the volume for that and i i am i am i'm always of two minds with the volume like some places i love it like i love the engineering set of the volume but sometimes i feel like i think in like the mandalorian or star wars uh is like where i see this a lot particularly but even in discovery it has this problem where it's like this creates these big cavernous empty spaces that look cool but feel very devoid of life a lot of the time um and so, like that's my big problem with the volume. But it, in this episode, it looked great. It felt like they were in a war zone.
4: Again, I'm sorry to be this guy, but it is my <laughs> place on this podcast. I I I hate the volume, and I do not like it in this episode. Mm. Um, because I notice it so much. Yes, it gave them so much to play with, but I'm just watching the characters stand in front of a screen. I know where it is and where it ends now. it. So, it, it I watching it made me go. I miss the dingy cave sets and I never thought I would say that, but I just was like, I want something real. I want something physical in the background, even if it's a painting. Like I just, I can't do it. I don't want every show to be in front of a giant bent screen. Like, I'm sorry. Oh, I, I
3: agree with you. I agree with you on, on predominant. I just think this episode worked for me and I actually am yeah. like, weirdly the cave the cave sets is kind of the same problem in a weird way too because it's like when you binge star trek you watch like oh it's the same cave set oh it's the same cave set over same cave set and you kind of like get familiar with every twist of that same damn cave um Mm -hmm. as a as a fan and so it like kind of takes away when you end up in there the volume kind of does the same thing where you're like oh i see it's the volume oh i see it's the volume oh i see so it's kind of the same problem uh, just different technology but for me this one worked because it was so big and cavernous it felt like they were exposed that's what that like that's the feeling that got me where it's like they're the small mash unit and there's bombs flying around you see it everywhere and it's like one of those bombs could just land there and, yeah. and, and they're just in the middle there's no protection they it was just, just tense just out in the open yeah so like, I, I actually kind of yeah. like that a lot
4: you know? yeah i was like guys you just you're in you're, you're standing around tents like that's not gonna last <laughs> if there's a bomb
2: Just <laughs> like you know this is the you know the, the 23rd century Surely there's a shield generator somewhere. <laughs> yeah. yeah right. uh, you know, things are yeah. uh, you know, things things are stuck. Um I actually in in this case, cause I, I'm getting to the place where, yeah, I'm really starting to notice the the mm. AR wall. But I think this week I'm I'm with you, Jesse. I think they they used it very well. Um I I, I didn't, it wasn't as noticeable to me this week as say it has been. Uh, a few times before, and actually there's something I'll mention when we get to the, the the news as well. But I just have to bring attention to because this was, this was only tweeted to me earlier on today. Has anyone seen? Uh, and full credit to Twitter user at Notting Hill Nerd uh, at Notting yeah at Notting Hill Nerd. This amazing mashup where they've done the scenes from this episode, but they've got the mash theme playing. over oh,
3: well, that's so.
2: Yeah, it's it's so good. And I don't just, oh, and I just it, the credits and everything. Starring Bob Zolosomakon, just was best starring Clint Howard. Sorry, I just have to. Oh, I need to watch that
3: because yeah, Mash was one of my favorite shows growing up. I I, <laughs> I grew up on reruns of that on like the Hallmark Channel here in the U.S. and I love I love that show. So
2: it's so good. Cool. I talk about a show that managed to balance comedy and yeah. who's playing with Shotdown. Anyway, that's a different topic. <laughs> mm-hmm. But um. I for, for me, obviously, we we we. I want to talk about the positives. I think Bob Zolosamicon. Like, mm-hmm. if this isn't, yeah. I mean, he was great anyway in in Stranger Worlds, but if this isn't a star-making uh, yeah. turn, like, I don't know what is. But that's also not to downplay Jess Bush, who I think is brilliant as well. Like, I've been every week. It seems like you know, kind of like how much more positive things can I say about Jess Bush because I'm loving her. But the two of them and. To a lesser extent, but only because she's in it less. Um, Melissa Navia as well this mm-hmm. week. Um, th- this episode, In fact, this episode is a great example of Strange New Worlds in general. Give us more, Ortegas. Mm -hmm. I
4: thought we were going to get it this episode. I went, oh, not really. No, no. She flies the ship, though. She flies the ship. I just want her.
3: I want her next week to like have a song in the music episode where it's just, I fly the ship, and that's her whole
2: song. (laughs) She'd be the Willow of once more with feeling, but yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um,
3: I, I will, I will like jump off of what you said too. Is like. Uh, and put it in larger context, like Babs this season, I feel has like been getting a little bit of short shrift. Like he's been, like even in the the all those old scientists, he's kind of a secondary kid. Like he hasn't gotten a ton to do since the premiere. Um, so I'm glad that he got center stage in this episode. Like, and he kills it. Like he's really, really, no pun intended either there either. <laughs> uh, but uh, he he's fantastic. And the other thing I will say about uh, Jess Bush is Nurse Chapel, who, by the way, Jess Bush, one of my favorite characters, I resonate with her so much. Disaster bisexual. I am here for it. <laughs> um, <laughs> she's very much a disaster bisexual and I adore it. Um, And one thing I did really like about this episode too, not just her performance and the topics that I already sort of spoke about with like her dealing with trauma, but the fact too that one of my biggest concerns with Chapel as a character in this show is because it's a prequel that is trying to rectify the bad treatment of Chapel in the original series. Well, I just
4: want to say quickly, because I know I'll be annoyed if I didn't bring it up, and I, I'm someone who famously doesn't like Klingons. I liked the Klingon in this episode. I thought he did a, he was a really interesting performance and also It it gave me strong TNG vibes, which I think is always a good thing. For for the first time ever, I am agreeing with both of you, and I'm giving it a strong six for the same sort of reasons. Uh. When I first watched it, I was like, yeah, I think this is a seven. There was things I liked about it, things I didn't, but the more it sat with me, I was like, the things I liked about it are good, but don't bring it up enough for it to actually be like a stronger episode. So. Yeah, strong six. Uh,
3: one, before we end too, just one thing I just realized i wanted to mention because I liked it a lot. Um, the one bit of the, this episode I loved, like I mentioned before, Spock and Chapel. I actually really like that storyline a lot because um, mm-hmm. of exactly what I said earlier. But I also love the Rector geno scene with Spock because it was symbolic of his arc throughout the entire episode where he's like, he tries to do something nice and ends up making it worse um by his involvement uh and so like that they did that with the ambassador and then he does it with chapel so i like it was just a small like symbolic thing uh with the racto so that yeah. was cool
1: selling a little or a lot Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com work. shopify.com work. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door.
2: Two centuries you're listening to the federation news network and now we are going to go to the news there's actually not a lot of news this week apart from one thing that might make one of our party a bit less thrilled so uh there was the uh, little behind the scenes clip from season five discovery uh i think it was actually released at SDCC, but I only saw it today, which makes it today's news. And there was that quick shot of the Romulan science ship Wey. And there was a load of talk of Seneca Martin Green talking about how much they used the AR wall in.
4: Just imagine me wacky ways
3: Definitely with you both on that. Yeah.
4: Oh.
2: Um, and, and, and then the other tiny bit of news is um, the the wonderful, amazing Jonathan Frakes is directing one half of what has turned out to be, as he phrased it, the Discovery finale. But he didn't know yeah. that when they were directing it. Mm-hmm. So I, I have the faith. I have With the, the faith. Yeah. Always got
0: faith in the heart. Always. <laughs> right. It
4: sounds like a mess, which makes you go, oh, no. But some of my favourite shows are a mess in the behind the scenes so it's you don't want to judge straight away it's you know that doesn't sound great but let's see what happens
3: you know those those star trek they have those like 50-year mission the 25-year mission the 50-year mission books yes. um that came out with the oral history of star trek there is a great uh oral history of the behind the scenes of star trek discovery that's coming in, i'm sure in like 10 20 years that i would just love oh to God. see what what yeah. like like this like discovery did a lot of the learning that i think a lot of the modern trek shows today are benefit like strange new world seems like a much smoother production i think that's a lot of because discovery like laid the groundwork laid the track and it was a mess especially in early seasons and so um yeah i'm I'm curious to see what that story is going to be years from now
2: Ooh, we're looking we're going to get a great ending like game of thrones okay so we're going to go <laughs> straight through to our next segment which is of course cargo bay 101 as I'm sure you're well aware, uh, Cargo Bay 101 is our lovely room that has a big portal that'll open a cargo bay door, (laughs) if you will, that, you know, opens out into space. What we are going to do is we're going to ask you to put something in Cargo Bay 101 and then we are going to take a wee vote to see if I am going to slam my hand down really hard (laughs) on the uh, excavation button. Um, Yeah, that's that's what I'm going to describe it as this week
3: yeah I okay. um, so this might be a spicy take, but and I want to be very clear about it, so I give a little explanation. Uh, and I'll be very quick about it because we're we're heading up on time here. But I say this first as someone who has met Mike McMahon, has you know met Terry Metalis, has met all these people uh though uh, Brandon Braga, I think is an underrated writer, Gene Roddenberry, I have whole videos about like he's great, like he's done interesting things, very conflicting figure, like I love. All of these writers, creators, especially Mike McMahon, who has been like the sweetest human being every time I've met him. So I'm putting that out first. But the thing I would jettison is I would very much like to uh I'm saying it as a way to jettison, but the way I would actually phrase it, I was like much more diversity in the showrunners. So the thing I would jettison is no more from this point on cis straight white dudes getting to run a show of Star Trek. And I'm not saying that as a mean thing. Again, love them. But i think one of the things that i've had with star trek is that it's 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 often come from that perspective in a lot of the shows and you know discovery can have knocks against for many reasons um but one of the things i do love about it is that it feels like a show that feels more inclusive and having more varied perspectives um in the in the actors in the show making of it and i just would really like to see that reflected in more of the star trek going forward like everyone's talking about star trek legacy and it's like terry Metallus, let's make terry metallis do Star Trek legacy and i want to be very clear terry Metalis, i think is great i and i want to see everything more from him but if we do get a star trek legacy wouldn't it be more interesting to me to see someone of like uh you know from a, a queer person a person of color uh just like more diverse backgrounds getting to tell new stories with characters from the 90s um in in a similar way so i i want to see what terry metallis does but i would also love to see other people so i think just uh the way i would phrase it is more diversity in the show running particularly of star trek shows
4: yeah i mean it's hard for me to argue against that (laughs) as much as i want to (laughs) um like like what you're saying star trek has always been a show that is have has been about diversity since the very beginning Mm -hmm. it's in its core it's in its bones let's have that as part of the actual making of the show as well as what the show is about itself you know yeah. have it start from the beginning to when the show comes out rather than just the show itself so
3: yeah it's just like yeah. there's only been i think I, I might be wrong on this but to my mind there's only been three women that have ever run star trek shows a dc fontana for the animated series uh jerry mm-hmm. taylor was an like i think a co-executive producer on voyager for only a few seasons um mm-hmm. and then obviously um uh, uh well, I'm blanking on her name. Uh, Star Trek Discovery showrunner, blanking on her name. Shell her name. Paradise. Shell Paradise. Thank you. Um, so and, and I think they've all like did great jobs, and I just would like to see even more of that and even more diversity. Um, as well. So
4: yeah, but we, we we've had directors right but it's just not yeah, yeah. showrunners we've not exactly yeah.
3: and i say that with all the love to mike mcmahon Hagman brothers terry Metalis. you know all of them like all the love i give them huge hugs and i adore them and i love everything that they make it's star trek i love it to death but just going forward i would love to see more of that
4: so are you saying we want to send straight white men into space <laughs> no more
3: straight white. That's exactly what I'm saying. I no more straight white men ever in anything. No, I love I love my straight white cis dudes uh, so much to death, but I would love to see even more people also get those opportunities.
2: I, I like that. I, I I think that counts as something we can absolutely cargo by a 101. We might even you know chuck them something to bring
4: an EV suit or something. Yeah, yeah out exactly, there, right? exactly.
3: Give them an EV yeah. suit. You know, yeah. yeah. You have a
4: look. We'll pull you back, but just for now. Yeah. Just brain. go
3: and have a nice spacewalk. <laughs> yeah.
2: Exactly. Are we just actually is this, you know, do we do we rename a cargo bay 101 or is it like, you know, a week on Risa? Who knows? Who knows? <laughs> I, either way, I think um I mean it, it it's cuz it's for such a wonderful reason, um more voices and particularly more voices of diversity and you know, I'm saying this yes, hello cis white man here, but there are experiences that i have not lived ergo i wouldn't presume same to me
3: and i'm i'm a i'm a trans woman but i'm also like i'm I've, like you know i'm fairly well off economic background i'm white and all these things like i would love to just see just see stories from perspectives different from mine that's the joy of star trek this is joy of stories is getting to see things different than yourself and
2: i, I think that that's great grab onto something because i'm about to decompress Bay 101 <laughs> we come to our last segment, which is, of course, questions from the audience, or as it's also known, Ask Trek Culture.
4: Yes. Remember, guys, send hashtag AskTrekCulture on Twitter with your questions, and we might read them out on the podcast. If we don't do it this episode, I will probably do it in future episodes. Um, we have actually a few, we've got three this week, uh, so we'll power through them, um, and we'll start with at Chit chintzy beatnik, chintzy beatnik. i don't know um sorry about that uh <laughs> hashtag ask Trek culture do you think it's a good thing to have all these great steamy romances and strange new worlds when we know the future of the characters keep up all the great work friends thank you but we yeah we have sort of talked about this in the past so do we think there is a reason or a point to have these if we know what the future is I think so to a degree. Like number one, Star
3: Trek has always had steamy romances. Watch my sex and Star Trek videos. Like Star Trek has always <laughs> been very sexy. Um, so that element of it, I'm like, yes, please more. Um, but I also like like I think like with uh with like Chapel and Spock particularly, even though we know that they don't end up together, I do think there's an element of it, it adds depth to what I think was a very shallow character in the original. I all love to Nurse Chapel and um uh um again, why am I blanking on names? Uh Major, Major Barrett. Barrett, Major Barrett, yeah, I got, I got there, I got there. I didn't need your help, yeah, you dang it. Um, but yeah, like all, all love to Major Barrett. Uh, but Chapel was a very shallow character in the original series, and I think this adds depth to that, even though we know where it's ultimately going to go. Um, so yeah, I do think that. Uh, I, and same thing with like Pike and Battelle, Like, we do know Pike ends up with Vina um which we saw in discovery and sort of in the original series as well so you know i think i think there's you know i think there's definitely worth to it i think we get some interesting things and no one's always with the same partner their entire lives um and so yeah i think i think there's i think it is worth it very much
4: yeah i also think this is star trek and just because that's the ending that we know we're we get with those characters doesn't mean that's the ending we are going to see in this season. Do you mm-hmm. know what I mean? Mm-hmm. How many mm-hmm. parallel universes are there in Star Trek? We could, we could see any sort of version. Yeah.
3: I mean, heck the, uh, the Gen X Wars got retconned. Who's to say we can't retcon yeah. other things.
4: Yeah. Okay. Uh Next up is from our good friend at tourist Cole. Hey Cole. Hashtag ask Trek culture in strange new worlds. We've seen comedy and farce. We've seen PTSD and courtroom drama. We're getting a musical what other genres would you like I'm going for 1970s confessions of a style episode
2: a lot of the, a lot of the big ones I want we've got like we got out and out horror with uh the Gorn mm-hmm. uh, yeah, last yeah. season uh we've got like you know tomorrow 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 sort of turned into espionage as well as a bit of romance They're got we've got, we're kind of ticking them off I'm, I'm kind of starting my, to end...
3: my um for me uh, what, I, what I would love to see hard-boiled detective noir we got mm. we got hints of it a little bit in TNG with like Picard and like the the big goodbye, but it never really took full advantage because those episodes were like, let's explain the holodeck to people uh, yeah. sort of episodes. So what I would love, like start to finish, like super hard-boiled detective episode, like get Paft and Pike and like black and white or something and be like, all right, got to solve a mystery. It's just like some something like that I think would be kind of fun.
4: I would like another Western. We've had Fistful mm. Data's. Let's have for a few dates more and have another Western. That'd be great. Okay. Last up, we have another friend of the channel, uh, at Heath Caster, Caster. I'm not sure. I'm also dyslexic. So sorry, everyone, if I constantly make your, get your names wrong. Now, this is, this is a fun one to end on. I think if you had to choose between two films and one absolutely has to go, would you choose generations or wrath of Khan to stay? Okay, I I
2: I so full disclosure, uh, I read this question earlier, so I have my answer ready for this one. I know okay. exactly what one I go to, and I have the reason why. But Jesse, you go first.
3: Oh man, just keep throwing me to the wolves. Uh <laughs> I mean uh I mean you gotta keep Wrath of Khan. I mean, right? It's 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 Wrath of Khan. And it sucks because like I am a defender of generations. It feels like a big budget TNG episode, and I love it for it. It's got its imperfections, but it's fun. But I mean if I, I mean, it's Wrath of Khan versus Generations, and Wrath of Khan, well, not my favorite, is certainly uh upper tier Star Trek movie. So,
2: yeah, like that, that's, that's it for me. You keep Wrath of Khan because Wrath of Khan is the one that brings in new viewers, Generations mm. is for Trekkies, and yeah, I love yeah, that, obviously. Fair, yeah. But mm-hmm. th- there you go, there's my reason. If I had to give a reason,
4: yeah, uh, when I first started reading this question my pick was going to be the motion picture but he said generations and i can't have i can't talk about how much i actually love the motion picture which is what Mm. i thought it was going to be so i'll have to talk about stupid wrath of khan again um but no (laughs) yeah i i think i i think that has to stay i mean just as a film like it it did start the big bad guy thing that they do a lot which isn't you know always fun but just as a film and as as the as a structure and script and sort of everything wrath of khan is so much better than generations it sort of leaps ahead of it in terms of what it does generations has a few interesting things here and there but um yeah Yeah. wrath of khan
3: i i i uh yeah for me wrath of khan is like again this is the spice take i it's not even in my top five track movies but i still think recognize it as like a great movie uh, just for me personally, what I resonate with, it's not in my top five.
2: Okay, so uh, as generations gets blasted out into space there. Uh, <laughs> thank you, everyone, for listening to what possibly will become our bumper episode of the uh, <laughs> the pod this week. There's a lot to talk about. I think it makes sense, though, with the topics we covered. We were all, It was always going to run a little bit longer. Um, Jesse, thank you so much. Um, thank you for it, having been, me, yeah. Such a pleasure. Uh, any Anytime, open invite. Open oh, yeah, yeah,
3: I will come on anytime, especially for both of you. Like, love you. Love Trek culture. Y- y'all are wonderful, and I adore you. And next time I see you, you get another huge hug from me. Because I remember the first time we saw each other and met on the Star Trek Picard premiere, like, red carpet line, which is the best place for us to have physically met for the first time, Give <laughs> you a big hug. And that's going to be every time we meet from now on. So,
2: Yeah, 100%. It's going to be that running toward each other, mm-hmm. you know? Um, yeah, to, uh, to the field <laughs> yeah exactly yeah They're like you know and and yeah, other people going like we were recording something like where are they going <laughs> Um, I would nobody else obviously you know uh, where can people find you what are you up to next I'm pretty sure everyone listening to this is probably subbed to you but very quickly where can people find you what are you up to next and what, what what's coming down the line for Jesse
3: Yes, I'll be very, very quick. Uh, you can find me at Jesse Gender on uh, YouTube, uh, which is where I do my video essay type of stuff. I talk about, uh, you know, I talk about Star Trek quite a lot, but I also talk about like queer and trans and LGBTQ issues and other political and social issues, often through pop culture, nerddoms and geekdoms. Um, so if you like what Star Trek does, in uh, talking about like present day stuff, that's what I do on my channel, uh, with a hyper-focus, I guess, on trans and Star Trek stuff, uh, but not always. Uh, I have a secondary channel called Just Your Dinner After Dark, where I do my news, reviews, reactions. That's where I'm viewing Star Trek Strange New Worlds. Um, I also have a podcast called The Jumpgate Podcast, which is the Babylon 5 rewatch podcast, which is not on pause right now, but we are shifting away from Babylon five due to the ongoing sag after and WGA strike. So we want to support them, but we will be getting back to Babylon five as soon as those are done. And there's a backlog there if you want it. Um, and then, uh, just in terms of next projects for me, uh, I am currently working on a film called identities, which is a trans and queer, a uh, cyberpunk, uh, like I think a really fun, like basically the way I describe it is the matrix meets black mirror meets severance. If you love any of those things, that's kind of what okay. it is. And it will star if you're a Trekkies, uh, it has stars numerous queer and trans people, but for us trekkies, John Delancey is in it. Um, and will wow. be will be have a, a starring role in it as a, a villainous character. Uh, so it's it's gonna be a really fun movie. Sadly, it is currently on pause due to just bureaucratic stuff due to sag after things, but we will be filming it. Uh, so yeah, that is that is on the horizon, and that'll be distributed by the streaming service Nebula, uh, which does support me. Um, and is funding the film. Um, So you can sign up to Nebula to support the film, support me and support support identities. So that's, and I also have a Patreon and I'm on all the social medias, the artist formerly known as Twitter and blue sky <laughs> and all those things so you can find me there
2: amazing okay um thank you so much everyone for listening along you are wonderful we'll be back next week of course tom thank you very much sean thank you very much no problem sean <laughs> um you, you can find us yet yeah, we're on all the various socials we're at triculture yeah. at Tri-Culture YT. we're on the youtubes i'm at sean ferrick we have the lovely at tom roberts finn at tom c finn you guys are all lovely live long and prosper chat to you soon